Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? From the go-betweens to his solo albums, Robert Forster is one of the great figures of Australian music. His latest album, The Candle and the Flame, is another triumph. It's also an intensely personal record, recorded in the wake of his wife's diagnosis with ovarian cancer, although many of the songs had been written before that time. Robert is my guest. Welcome to you. Lovely to be speaking with you, Andy. How are you going and how's Karen doing? I mean, it's clearly been a challenging couple of years for you too. How Mm. are you? Well, um, Karen is doing well. Um, She is in a stable patch, um, really sort of fit, walking, swimming every day. Um, It's been a very difficult 18 months, but she's at a good point now. And um, it's almost as if if she's doing well, I'm doing well. Um, And so, and I am. And so, look, we're having a a very, very pleasant time at the moment. It's really good. Many of the songs off this album were written before her diagnosis of Mm -hmm. ovarian cancer. So did it feel like the meaning or the impact of these songs changed after that or was it you that changed ultimately? Yeah, yeah, drastically. Um, It was, of the nine songs on the album, I'd written eight before the diagnosis and it was... They were, it was spooky how much they sort of, um, there was just subject matter in the songs, there were turns of phrases, even song titles like, you know, there's a reason to live, it's only poison. Um, that even the song titles resonated before you even got to the lyric in the song. So it was when we started to play the songs and just played them at home before any idea of a record, we were sort of aware that that these songs had taken on uh, a much deeper meaning for us. Of course, you've had your share of difficult times over the years. I'm just curious about what role the making of music holds in those times. Is it, you know, like a way to escape or to process or to connect? I mean, I'm thinking of the death of Grant McLennan yeah. here. Um, all of those, for us in this circumstance, it was, you know, imagine a day of, you know, a hospital visit um, and um, current on chemotherapy and, you know, like a very full days, totally taken up with um, the medical world and her well-being. And so at night um, after, you know, like after you've gone through a whole day of that, at night to be able to just play songs in the lounge room and it's not only the playing of the songs, of these songs that I'd written that, that we did together that Curran knew really well. It wasn't only that. It was, you know, you start to talk about the business and the process. So you, you would would play a song and it'd be a beautiful thing to take us away and then it'd be like, oh, you know, like uh, should the introduction be longer or, you know, should you sing on that chorus and, or come in one before? There's all those little bits of business that are part of that um that escape hatch that, that music gives you. So it's, it's not only the songs, it's talking about the songs as well. Yeah, yeah, very powerful distraction really, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I, I suppose another distraction, a welcome one, was the fact you had your son Lewis and daughter Loretta uh, playing yeah. uh, uh, on part of the album and in the film clip for The Candle and the Flame, it's your family uh, yeah. together. That, that, that would have maybe not happened if it wasn't for the challenges mm. your family went through. No, it wouldn't have. 
um, especially for my son who was in a band, well, at the time of the recording he was in the band um, called The Goon Sacks and um, he was, you know, 22 two at the time and so he was in a band that done three albums and so and and his career and in particular mine had been quite separate you know like we we wanted to each go our own way especially for Lewis and um so the thought of him playing on an album of mine and with Cardin and and Loretta was the furthest from his mind and ours and it just shows you how powerful the circum the changed circumstances were that suddenly something that that wouldn't have been foreseeable suddenly happened and and he was playing with us in the lounge room um because he was coming up to visit see his mother and he's a very good guitar player so he joined in our sessions and Loretta did too and so it it was it was not planned, it, and, and and it was wonderful that uh, he had that other world and Loretta to go into um, with their mother going through what she was with through chemo. Robert, I've read that you've said you're not the sort to write an album in three weeks. Mm. So what do you look for when you start pulling an album together? Is there a point where you know that the songs are ready? Is there a tipping point? I think it comes on for me comes down to numbers, and and it's the amount of good songs that you've got. So I always feel an album's possible when I've got 10 songs I really like. And really it's as straightforward as that. And that normally it's sort of settled in this pattern over the last um, years, decades, if you like, um, where it takes me about four years to write an album. Uh, And I write complete songs. I'm not like someone, if you can imagine, a musician or a singer-songwriter who comes into the studio and, look, I've got a loop here and I've got a riff here and I've got something on the piano over there and we're all going to sort of sit around here for weeks or months putting it together. I'm very much a sort of singer-songwriter who writes um, the music and the words. I've got the arrangement in my head. The musicians are free to play what they they want within the, the, the boundaries of the song. So I sort of, when I when I say I've got 10 songs, I've got 10 songs ready to go. First day in the studio, we can start recording. On RN Drive, I'm Andy Park. You're hearing from Robert Forster. He's my guest. And we're about to hear uh, your track, Tender Years, of the of the new album. It's a song about, well, love, but it's not the first blush of love that usually lies oh. at the heart of a pop song, many, many yeah. pop songs. It's the sort of love that's endured and remained. So talk to me about writing about that different phase of love. I just, I, for the, the, the first thing I, I guess is that I had the the music, um, and, and the music really does, when you write a song, the music dictates what what room you've got, you know, how, how much space you've got to say something, and, and the style of the music can tell you, uh, you know, and even this can sound quite cliched, oh, that's slow and moving, that leads to that. This is more up-tempo and joyful, that leads to that. And you do match lyrics to the moods of the songs. So I had the the music for this and I knew it was quite open and expansive. So it lent itself to storytelling and reflection. And so I just I just had this image of seeing... Um, Carl and my, my wife and I had been together for, for 30 years and you just start to think about going back through time and 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 where we'd met and 
how she looks now and how she looked then and how we are now and how we were then and some biography along the way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of quite, it's, the song starts, the first two verses of this song are, are quite impressionistic. And so you almost don't know where it's going to go. And I didn't really know where it was going to go as a writer. And then suddenly the third verse, I start to sing about Heidelberg in Germany, which is where Karen and I met. And it starts to um, become, as I was writing it, become I, I need more detail here from real life. And so the song sort of morphs through the verses into a, a, a portrait of um, Karen and my relationship. It's a yeah, beautiful sentiment and a, a lovely song. Let's take a listen now. This is Tender Years by Robert Forster here on Radio National. Gazing feel at the end there. That was Tender Years <laughs> by Robert Forster. He's my guest here on RN Drive. And Robert, something like this can really focus the mind, what you and your family have been through, yeah. uh, on what you have and what you want. So so how has your thinking changed? What, what, what have you been thinking about as your wife recovers? I live uh, and we do, we live in the now um, a lot more. There's really no, like when we live, before the diagnosis, like a lot of people, you're always planning three or four months ahead, you you know, like six months. You know what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. You know what's going to happen. You're planning a holiday for next year. You know, you, your mother turns 90 in three years, so you're starting to think about that. And so all of that is gone. And um, it's just week to week, a lot more present, um, which means that you're appreciating the now a lot more as well, you know, like what you have. And so a, a simplicity to life comes and we can't, Karen is, is severely immune compromised, so we can't travel um, too far from our house. And so you work with that and you work with swimming in the lake and walking through a nearby park and, you know, like there's great appreciation of life. There's no loss of quality of life but it's just a different form that is very much in the present. I do want to ask you about one of the other songs on this album, I Don't Do Drugs, I Do Time, and it sort of yeah. links together moments of your life. Yeah. And you sort of touched on this before about sort of going back through the archive in your mind of yes. your marriage to your wife. Yeah. Have you talked to her about how she's changed in seeing you over this time? Um, no, I... You know, she she tells me, and um, 
I think she can see very much the the changes that that I've been through. I mean, a, a major one was becoming a father, and uh, and what that means as you know becoming a parent, and how that changes immediately as soon as there's a baby in in the house or in the room that. Um, Things have changed, and they're going to change for twenty five years. And um, so I, I think she sees me through these changes that I've been through. Um, and you know, there's been things on the way, like I stopped drinking when I was I, I had a hepatitis C um, diagnosis when I was thirty nine. So I stopped drinking. And so she um saw that change in me going from someone who drank to someone who's been sober since nineteen ninety seven. And she tells me that that she thinks that these are good changes in my life. Um, there's two examples I've given you, and I really feel the same. I, I think I'm, within whatever perception I have of it, I think I'm a better person. And does Karen miss playing the violin, understand she didn't actually play on this yeah. record? No, um, that's just sort of physically important possible. Um, she sort of has always, um, she sang on on my last two albums and we've done a lot of singing right from the start of, of our relationship back in the in 1989. We've done a lot of singing around the house. Um, but I think, the, the she, you know, the violin, it's a difficult instrument um, and she finds that too. And so, on on the album, she plays some some xylophone. She's a very musical person. She can sort of move to percussion things and you know, um, and glockenspiel and xylophone. She can play all of that. Um, <laughs> lots of German uh, instruments with uh, yeah. lots of heritage there. <laughs> they are, given they her are, own heritage. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And she also taught um, early childhood music education as well, which is a lot of percussion and, and singing. Um, look, she she misses the violin. Um, but it's not like, you know, a grand passion. And and she does talk about picking it up again um, and like she was talking about that a couple of weeks ago. So we shall see. Um, yeah. I also read outside of music you're working on a novel. Pray tell, what sort of style of writing do you kind of – does it absorbs you the most? I've always been a nonfiction person um, and I've always sort of, you know – Push, have to push myself a little bit into reading fiction. It's almost like, like I want the facts, and I'm. I've always been, you know, someone who's been intrigued by history and how things work, and um, I guess time, you know, you know, like in history, what we're talking about here. Um, and I've, I've, you know, I've read novels, but um, and so I've written some nonfiction. I, I was writing music journalism. I wrote a memoir, and I just thought that I wanted to. I had a story in my head. And I, it was at the same time that I'd wanted to write stuff that basic, very basic um, way I wanted to make things up. I, I didn't want to be confined by facts anymore. Yeah, reality and, can get a bit dreary, especially with it, it the heavy weight of things uh, on your mind yeah, lately. Especially, you know, when you've got editors on your shoulder taking, saying, you know, you didn't do that in 1985. You, you, you didn't, uh, you know, like this is not Vampire Weekend's first hour, you know, like <laughs> all of that sort of stuff mm. um, that the people who know more than you do tell you. Um, so I just wanted to freelance on it. And so I've got a story. It's set in 1991. It's in the musical world. I've been working on it for a number of years. Um, and I really enjoy 
I was writing on it before I came in here. I really enjoy it. Um, it's getting better. It's my first novel, so I'm learning to write a book and write it at the same time. But it's going well. I enjoy it. Well, Robert, it's been an absolute pleasure to have some time with you. I do wish all the best to Karen in her ongoing recovery. And thanks so much for sharing your story with me. Love you to be on Radio National. Thank you, Andy. Robert Forster's new album, The Candle and the Flame, is out now and he's on tour across the country later this year, starting in Adelaide on May the 12th. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.